This week's episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by The Humble Bundle. Hey, if you're looking to expand your gaming library, either through your PC or one of your console systems, you have to check out what Humble Bundle can bring to you. You'll be able to donate at a level that you're comfortable with. And I say donate because when you subscribe to The Humble Bundle, Every week, a portion of the proceeds go to support a very good charity. They vet their charities. You get a ton of games. And hey, for 12 bucks, you get AAA games, a bunch of indies, and you can really, really fill out your Steam library. Go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the page, find the link to the Humble Bundle, and give it a shot. 12 bucks and... If you pick up one game a month you like, it's paid for itself. Plus, proceeds go to fantastic causes. You can even scale and select the charities of your choice. Again, go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the page, find the link to the Humble Bundle, and subscribe. Now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome. It is the post-Christmas edition of Nerd Cognito. My name is Ryan David, and I'm joined, as always, by Bert. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Ah, Christmas was, well, busy. It was a busy, busy week. How was your week? Uh, same. I was scrambling like mad, you know. Oh, shoot. I feel like I crammed probably... What do we consider the holiday? Two, three days? I crammed like two weeks into those two or three days. I hear you. I hear you. Same here. A little good, a little bad, a little festive, a lot of booze. You know, the normal. Oh, yeah. Uh, this week we have a really interesting show. Uh, of course, our dear friends at Wizards have made it extra interesting by last week announcing a new open gaming license. <laughs> Guess what, Bert? It's not very open. It's not very open. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about that first up. Then we have the news, which I kept short and sweet this week. After the news, we are going to talk to a very good friend of the show and artist slash game designer slash amazing creator, <laughs> David Gwill, who... As you know, released the Dungeons and Delvers Black Book a while back and had a successful Kickstarter for the Red Book, which is effectively the full Monty uh, core book for Dungeons and Delvers. Um, right. It's it's big and it's complete, and it is what we are going to talk about. Both you and I had an opportunity to really dig into it over the holiday and during some of our limited downtime. And I, I, once I picked it up, I really just kept going. I wanted to read and read and read and read and read. So I think that's oh, absolutely. a yeah. good thing. And we're going to talk about the finer points of Dungeons and Delvers on the flip side of the news. But uh, they did it again, Bert. <laughs> I know, I know. You've lost all respect for wizards, but what did they do this time? I, I want to start out, and I know I'm like a broken record with this. I want to love my Dungeons & Dragons again. Well, 
they make it really hard. It's like an abusive relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They announced that they are so thrilled with the community in the tabletop role-playing scene. They love all of those, you know, community-created third-party bits and bops that really make the game your own. And they love it so much that they are going to be revising the open gaming license prior to the release of one D&D. You know, that under-monetized, so says Hasbro and Wizards property that they happen to have. Right, right. Under-monetized. Under-monetized. And uh, it should come to no surprise to anyone at all that the terms of the OGL are going to change. And the OGL is an open gaming license, in my opinion, in name only. Um, Some of the big changes that our dear friends at Wizards have decided to put into play, all related to that under-monetized statement that we heard about two weeks ago. (laughs) Okay. Now... All right. Here, here's the good thing, right? The old OGL is non-revocable. So if you are a creator or a friend of the show or a prominent member of the OSR creators community, the great news is you just release your stuff under the old OGL and none of this applies to you. So I think that anyone with some presence of mind that is trying to create and make a product is going to recognize that at first. But also, if you want to venture into some of their new content with one D&D and springboard off of that, you're not going to have a choice. So we do really have to talk about this. You know, we know and talk right. to a plethora of game designers. Sure. And, I mean, you know, uh, and... Every one of them sort of has their own take on things, but they all are, you know, all the ones we've talked to at least are very creative and have some very interesting sort of input and modifications that they make to that world. Right. And a lot of the creators, short of making the big time, you know, uh, really do it for love of the business. Sure, you can go on to drive through and drop bucks and buy some of their supplements, but for most of the guys and gals that we know on a first-name basis, it is a passion project. It's not their full-time job. Right, exactly. Well, Wizards is treating this like everybody is a corporation. <laughs> okay. Um the big thing is if you are a monetized commercial content creator. So if you're selling something for 3 bucks, this applies to you. You have to accept the license and then you have to check in with Big Brother and let them know what you're offering for sale. Now, it's ambiguous right now, but there is language in it and you can read the st- I guess, what would you call it, a blog post that they put out announcing this. Uh, It is freely available at their website, but some of the language that they're using could be interpreted as giving them an editorial license. To what extent, we don't know. 
Now, I, I say that with speculation because, again, we don't know what the new OGL is. We just have this one pager that they posted about a week ago. Uh, I like how they snuck it in right, right. before Christmas. Right? <laughs> That's always nice. They're, you know, really trying to ratchet down on digital content because that's where they're going to make their money. We talked about it when 1D&D was announced. We talked about it again just last week with, with the push to digital. We're not sure how it's going to affect people that maybe monetize play or stream a game or even folks like us that just talk about things. You know, I can't tell you the last time we reviewed a Wizards product, but if we wanted to, it's ambiguous whether it would fall under this new license. You know, does Wizards get a say? So the the license text when it comes out is going to be a really interesting read. Again, none of it applies if you release under the old OGL. Second... And this is where things start to rub me the wrong way. I get it. They're doing digital non-gaming for one D&D. I don't like it. I prefer to be at the table. But uh, that's their push. They're trying to lock down the digital end of things. Right. I, I, I get that. I can even, you know, hand wave that off and say, okay. Here's the second point that they said is going to apply for commercial creators. You have to report OGL-related revenue annually to Wizards of the Coast. I did see that. And if you make more than a certain amount, a royalty agreement applies. Oh, yes. If you hit more than three-quarters of a million dollars, they say in income. And again, this is where it's going to get interesting when we see the real license. Is it profit is it revenue is it gross uh i have a suspicion it's just going to be 750 clean you know it's going to look at your revenue and say if you bring in this amount then you're going to start to pay us a royalty how much is that royalty we don't know we do not it's not listed it's not listed and um that also rubs me the wrong way you know, when we look at the roots of Dungeons & Dragons, it all points back to the big granddaddy of them all, which was Tolkien, right? Are sure, we, in some ways, I would agree with you. Are, are yeah. we are we creating a fantasy pyramid scheme here? <laughs> Everybody's got to kick up. It's like the mob. <laughs> and of What's course, the big? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, the last part is you have to create, you have to include a creator product badge on your work. So they're not going to let you forget that it's a wizard slash Hasbro property. I don't know. I don't know. The, the whole thing just stinks. I don't know. When someone presents a meal to me that smells a little off, I'm not really interested in eating it. I get your point. I mean, the, obviously they're trying to make money off of this property and they we, we know that they've been struggling with their own releases, so if somebody else has a more popular release, they want to make sure that they get a piece of that. But it's just kind of uh, interesting to see all these little bits and bobs and not know how they fit together. How big is their piece? What are they What are they going to do? Like, And then the question is, you know, are they going to, like, veto content? Are they going to, you know... Like, where where is this going? And we won't know more than more until we see more, but... 
Yeah, we don't know. Um, Like I said, the first half, I can almost forgive and even to an extent bless they're moving their model to a fully digital model with paper supplements if you want them. That's very clear. That's the direction that they want to go. I get it. They want to protect themselves from the digital front. Sure. But I don't know. Uh, other types of this is a quote from the from the I guess you can call it press release. Other types of content like videos and video games are only possible through the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy, which again reads like prison rules or a custom agreement with us to clarify outside of printed media and static electronic files. The OGL does not cover it. So what does that mean for all these streamers who are playing D&D, you know, on YouTube or on Twitch or through other services? Because those are obviously videos. Do they fall under that, you know, fan policy? Do they have to negotiate some sort of agreement with Wizards now? What are what are they looking at? I don't know, but I know one thing for certain. I'm going to find every Sparkle Troll <laughs> stream that I can find and tip them $1.00. So that they have to report to wizards. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, because, you know, hey, as soon as you kick into the commercial realm, uh, you're out of that fan content policy and you are a paid creator. Uh, that's just mean, Ryan. That's just mean. It is a little mean, but. Will this affect the D&D content and services players use today? It shouldn't. Now, let me clarify. It doesn't. The old OGL is not revocable, period. You cannot revoke it. You cannot amend it. You cannot shift it. You cannot change it. It's out there, and it's out there forever. So using language like that, I think, is baiting. And I think if someone were to really dig down when the final document is in and if they put language like that in because right now it's just a press release there's nothing binding out there right but you can't say well maybe it does but maybe it doesn't that doesn't fly i don't know it's dirty and i don't i I like i like the grind i like the grift but i don't like dirty and it just the whole thing feels bad you know i have a vested disclosed interest in this because I am currently in the very early stages of creating auras, right? Right. That is going to fall. At least pieces of it are going to just to cover my ass fall under the original OGL. Does this put me in the crosshairs? Good question. Don't know. I don't know what to think. And is this going to, really be a move designed to stagnant third-party content. And that's where I think this push is coming from. Right. They don't necessarily want, you know, oh, we love our community. Come and give us a hug, but don't create anything. Because we're creating stuff that's just not selling, and we don't want competition or eyes looking in all sorts of other directions. Think back to the, the heyday of the OGL. And I'm thinking third edition, right? Oh yeah, third edition there the OGL blew up. The OGL exploded and there were a, a, a just a 
tidal wave of this third-party content that in some cases, even back then, before we were digging through the tripe that we're digging now, outshined the product that Wizards of the Coast was producing then, and that was 20 years ago. Is this like an underhanded way to discourage fan content? Hmm. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, you know, the everybody, you know, everybody who's played has homebrewed something. So like, you know, and the problem is now, if you want to share that with people, what is, what is that going to look like? Right. And I guess, you know, we just have to wait and see. I am sure that there are folks out there, particularly in the OSR, that are going to take this to attorneys and take this to folks that are in the know and have them really dissect it. But I guess at this point, the only thing I can say is just don't write underneath that that licensing agreement because it's not open, it's not friendly, it's not pro-community, and it shouldn't be a surprise to us. It's not news that this is where we're at. You said news, I right? did, I did. I'm really bummed about this OGL thing, man. Yeah, I know. I, it, it's, uh, I mean, I guess we can't be too disappointed until we see what the, the actual language is. But, you know, the, the fact that there is a new OGL coming is always, you know what I mean? The old one's been in place for years. So what are the, what are the changes? I don't know. It, it's, it's a very ominous document. Um, it's going to kill, it's going to kill creativity. Hey, speaking of dead stuff, how's that for a segue? You may have heard about the Atari VCS 800. That was the the new Atari Virtual Console that was going to be released. It uh, started with rumors all the way back in 2016. It finally hit uh, official, like, console announcements in 2017 it was funded to the tune of three million dollars on indiegogo in 2018 uh it went past its shipment date backers didn't get theirs until 2020 and now it's dead not one that i regret pulling my pledge for on the last day (laughs) uh i i really really was excited about this when it first was announced and I got cold feet and pulled it at the last moment. And, uh, apparently that was the right move. Atari said in its last financial report that it started quote, the suspension of direct hardware and manufacturing relationships, notably with regards to the Atari VCS for which a new commercial strategy has been implemented as of the end of the calendar year 2022. Is it possible that they're looking for a new manufacturing partner? I think it's possible. I think it's more likely that that it is uh, some tech junk that's going to fill up the landfills. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, is it good? They're going to bury it like E.T.? Yeah, I don't know. Um, there, there's an update uh, that came in. Since I first read this article, which is interesting, um, Atari hasn't directly announced 
that they're killing the console, but they did provide an advice statement to GameStop saying that it has not been discontinued at this point. Uh, they continue to maintain inventory and fulfill new orders. They're committed to the VCS platform. They're adding support for game developers and continue to add new games to the store. Hardware is an important part of Atari's legacy. da 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 What that means, who knows? Now I kind of want to go and order one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the only place you can get them is direct from Atari. Uh, right now, it's on sale for a couple of bucks off, but the sticker price on it is two ninety nine. Uh, it might be one just for for posterity's sake to to pick up one. <laughs> It'll be, yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like it's very ambiguous. Like, oh no, it's not going away. But oh, oh no, it's we're not manufacturing it anymore. So limbo. Are we working with the same consultants that Hasbro is? Oh, we're releasing a new uh, OGL for... We're not killing the old OGL. Well, you know, the old OGL might not work, or it might work, but uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to do something. Just stay tuned, and you'll find out what it is. Uh, you can substitute OGL in for the Atari VCS. <laughs> <laughs> Ay, 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 ay. Speaking of canceled, this year was a death knell for a lot of really good TV shows. Um, there's yeah, Cancellations have been pretty prevalent. Yeah, and, and you know, our genres, sci-fi, superhero, fantasy, uh, most things nerdy, uh, really boomed this year. It was a good year for nerd TV, but not every show was very lucky. And I've got... A list that I went through, you know, they they put together a list of the hundreds of shows that are canceled, right? But I picked out a, a list of what I think are the most meaningful cancellations and the ones that I'm going to miss. And you can tell me where you where you stand on those. Okay. At, at the absolute top of my list is the cancellation of Westworld. Were you a fan of Westworld, Bert? I thought it was really uh, sort of an interesting take on things. I remember, like, when I was a kid, I watched, like, the original Westworld movie right. with my dad. Right. Like, it was, a, it was a classic film. And, uh, so Black I and really white, if I remember correctly, too. Yeah, 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 I believe you're right. And it was really interesting to see sort of how they uh, – how, how the take on that, how they expanded it. Like, I watched – I wasn't a diehard fan, but I'm familiar enough with it. I've watched a few episodes. I'm, I, I was planning to. I'm planning to go back and finish the series. It's on my list, but it's a why shame to see it ended it in the most gigantic cliffhanger ever, and they canceled. Oh it. man, that's sad to hear because I haven't. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to tell you what happened, uh, but it's pretty common knowledge at this point that it is a massive cliffhanger that very clearly was intended to continue and. Now it won't be resolved. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bummer. <laughs> uh, Netflix killed a bunch, none of which I really cared about. Uh, just naming them off the top of my head. Uh, Space Force, Warrior Nun, Resident Evil. Um, I didn't watch any of those. <laughs> Space Force, I watched, the, watched some. Steve Carell was funny in it, but it wasn't something that held my attention long term. So I watched a few episodes. 
Warrior Nun, uh, I saw some of the promo stuff and a lot of the hype, but I never got into the series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving over to the CW, uh, the Arrowverse is coming to an end. Uh, Stargirl, Legends of Tomorrow are gone. Batwoman, well, that never started. <laughs> that, that, that was just bad all the way across the board. Um, outside of the Arrowverse, the 4400 and the Charmed reboot, as well as Roswell, also got the chop this year. The CW cleaned some fucking house, man. They did. They did. I never thought they'd get rid of Charmed. That you know that series was sort of their. You know they they had the original series, then they had the reboot. Like I never thought that series was going to die. Yeah, I, I I don't know what's in store for the CW. I I, I have this interesting love hate relationship with the CW shows. Because, you know, I was a big fan of Arrow and the Arrowverse at the beginning. Right. And then I don't know if the shows got younger or I got older, but I felt really, really like the old guy at the high school dance. <laughs> By Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's not a place you want to be, dude. Midway through the shows, I was like, um... Uh... Oliver, I, I, I get it with Oliver Queen. He was relatable to me. And Arrow was the one that I was able to stick with the longest. Right. But specifically looking at, like, Legends of Tomorrow and The Flash, I felt really old watching them. So, <laughs> uh, so CW cleaned house. HBO, in addition to Westworld. Westworld. Still, still breaks my heart. Uh, killed Raised by Wolves, which was a great show. Um, it was. I didn't see anything about that one. It was insane. <laughs> it followed a bunch of androids raising some human children, right? Okay. Um, but then it got weird, you know, like oceans of acids and a lot of religious callbacks and a lot of. And remember, this is Ridley Scott, so right. it's Ridley Scott's acid of ocean or oceans of acid, and um. Uh, you know, snake babies made out of robots, and <laughs> it was okay. weird. It was yeah, weird, yeah. but it was good. Um, the Nevers also got killed. Another one where I felt too old. Uh, the wife and I sat down and tried to watch The Nevers when it first debuted because it had a lot of good buzz. Uh, people were, were were talking about it, saying how wonderful it was, and we watched right, it and I said, right. oh, not only are we just a little too old, like that wasn't the real thing, but it was very overproduced in our opinion. So we, we couldn't get into that. And Yeah, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get into the neighbors too much either. Watched an episode or two and then just kind of, eh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, last but not least, The Expanse is dead again. So Dead again. Dead again. Uh, dead again. That's okay. Uh, since it came back, it wasn't as good. I will I will say that. It 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 didn't give me a good old grip and say, Hey, how you doing? Leave your money on the dresser. So <laughs> Wow. I, I think it was just a brutal brutal year for some cancellations. Uh that that's it for my list. I you know, there's always a lot of questions about what might make it, what might not make it, that sort of thing, right. because there's still there's still time on, on the block. I think the biggest one that folks in our world uh, care about, not so much me, but folks in our world seem to enjoy the Orville 
and it's sort of hanging in the in the balance right now. So yeah, I enjoyed the Orville. No, I know, I know, I know. I just I I couldn't get past the first handful of episodes, which I understand is the biggest hurdle of the show, but it just I I couldn't do it. So, and then you know, New Trek came along, and I got sucked into that universe. So I just never looked back. I'll probably have to give it a second look, but uh, Seth MacFarlane, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're not a fan. No, no. I I am a fan, but I'm not a fan of him in human form. Uh, right. Only as animated characters. Yes. Yes. Uh, we're fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. Hey, you know what else is old? I'm going to throw that? you back here in, in the time machine. How about... Skies of Arcadia. Oh, man. Now you're throwing me in the Wayback Machine. Tell the youngins what that's all about. <laughs> oh, man. You're talking about... I have not thought about Skies of Arcadia in such a long time. About 20 years. <laughs> and, and for me, closer to 25, because I played it on the Dreamcast... But I do know that there was a, I guess you can call it, remastered version that released for GameCube. And, uh, yes, yes. And uh, it was turn-based combat, which I loved. Uh, you know, cute, charming, lovable. I don't know yeah, if I, I mean, could call it a straight JRPG, though. Um, it was close. I mean, you had, you had air pirates and, uh... You were saving the know, world, right? Turn-based battles and experience level ups and, you know, all the things that you would, uh, kind of expect from, from that. But also, it was really, it had some sort of weird elements because it was sort of an early 3D game, which was not, uh... Not pretty. Yeah, not not great at that point, you know. Uh, well, there's been a lot of, of subversive buzz about Skies of Arcadia. Uh, there's no official announcement, and it's probably just people getting their hopes up. But um, there have been callbacks in a lot of games coming up. Sega keeps putting in references in all sorts of their releases, Going all the way back to like Valkyria Chronicles, which it was right. kind of there as a haha, because that was it was still relevant at that point. Right. But right. we're seeing it pop up in the Sonic games. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a weird, yeah, weird place for like, it to be. There's a Skies of Arcadia themed track in Sonic All Star Racing Transformed. Are they dipping a toe? Or seeing which way the wind blows, perhaps? Maybe. Trying to judge interest. Yeah, I mean it's weird if you're really observant in the opening of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, there's a little snippet of Skies of Arcadia and the Sega logo time stamped in the corner. What's going on with Skies of Arcadia? <laughs> I would love to find out. I would love to see it come back because it was a game that, and you hit on this before, technology didn't do the depth of that game justice. And it right. could be done justice today so we'll see sega keeps uh keeps just throwing it out there saying hey guys remember this remember this no we forgot I, it because it was in the news 
That's the news part. <laughs> I told you Fair I kept enough. it short this week. Yeah, you did. I wanted to, I wanted to to keep a lot of time on the board because I know our next segment you and I could talk about for probably the whole hour if we had to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and there's certainly enough content there. Um, and we are talking about the Dungeons and Delvers core rulebook, the Red Book, as it was known on Kickstarter, authored by none other than David Gwill and his lovely wife, Melissa Gwill. I couldn't put it down over the last week. I, I really couldn't. It was good, good stuff. Yeah, ever you? since you sent me the PDF, I've been digging into like all the little like nuances of it. Like, you know how I am. I started with the races and I analyzed each one, and then I looked at the classes and moved into the combat system. Like it was because I, I tend to analyze it in pieces. Like, uh, look at the races first. Are these things that I'm going to be interested in playing? Do they have any lore behind them? Like, and then I move into the sort of the nuts and bolts. Well, let's talk about it from a top down level. So. Um... Yeah, you you can you can be the sales guy, right? I'm always the sales guy. Uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Delvers, Bert, what's that? So I mean, well, it's a role playing system, right? Fairly straightforward, you know. Uh, D20 based, very familiar to everybody. You Gee, know, it must fall under that say. open gaming license. <laughs> but the the things that are interesting about it is, you know, it doesn't it. Uh, Lore is something that we've been seeing go away and get cut away and get removed where, you know, characters are almost cookie cutter. Whereas this has a lot more sort of deep nuance, a lot, a lot of the uh, sort of interesting and uh, parts that parts that you're interested in the, at least if you're a, uh, you know, a crunchy math gamer are, are all included in there. Right. No, and, you know, I'm going to use some, some language from the designer, David, David Gwill. In a nutshell, Dungeons & Delvers is the world's first role-playing game, so D&D, right? But the way he would do it. It's, it's the way that he always wanted to do it. It gets rid of some of the stuff that, that just rubbed his rhubarb, right? It... it throws it out the window it gets rid of a lot of the i don't want to say simplification because on the surface the system is a brilliantly simple system that can get amazingly deep i don't know if you would agree with that statement no i, I would i mean i don't think you know yeah there's some crunchy math involved but the system itself isn't you know isn't burying you in rules, but as you sort of develop your character more and more, think you get a much richer experience out of it. I, I, I think that that is a very fair statement. Um, you know, it's <sighs> trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's not trying to reinvent the wheel, which I think is a good thing, but it's really taking the fundamentals and making them accessible at the table. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to go headfirst into the deep end when you're creating a character. Like you said, there's some crunch to it. Uh, there's a lot of depth in the lore. But I think one of the brilliant things about the book and the, the, the system in the world that's being created is that it is truly accessible for players of all skill levels. 
I can see it being dropped into our table where we've got old grognards and oh, some millennials and uh, a Zoomer that's there, and everybody has a different flavor of role-playing that they enjoy. And right. I think that this system is diverse enough that everyone's taste can be satisfied all in one book. I really enjoyed this book. Like I said, I couldn't put it down. And some of the things that I like about it is that, you know, they clearly make reference to the book that you don't have to use everything. Like, it, like when it comes to like the introduction to races, it says, talk to your DM about races that may not be available or races that you might have to roll for. Right. You know, it, it's, it clearly makes it, you know, makes a point to it that you can customize it as you go. It is a wonderful, I guess, menu where we as the consumers can pick and choose what we want to use from it. Uh, the book itself is a monster. <laughs> uh, clocking in at about 500 pages. Yeah, a little over 500. And um, you're ready to get blown away. It's available on Big Geek Emporium right now for under 20 bucks. In oh, fact, can't beat that. as of this recording, and I hope this doesn't go away, but as of this recording, uh, it's on sale for closer to 10 than to 20. So uh, it, we're not talking about breaking the bank here for the digital version. It is a truly, truly robust system. Uh, you were talking about the combat. I'll let you talk about the combat, and then I'll tell you where I'm at with my favorite section of the book. All right. Well, I mean, the, the thing that I liked about combat is they kept a lot of realism without, you know, adding a ton of new rules as far as that's concerned. Like, they talk about things that, you know, they talk about melee combat, they talk about ranged combat, they talk about surprise, they talk about figuring things out um, as you go. But one of the things that I really liked, for example, was they talked about exhaustion. Combat is strenuous. Combat is difficult. At the end of combat, you may need a rest. And, like, literally, they put that recommendation right in there. And a lot of game systems, like, once you finish a combat, you just run to whatever the next thing you're doing is. Right, right. It, Whereas it is. this is... This is bringing that gritty realism into your table. Uh, it's very much OSR. Uh, I think the whole book has an OSR feeling to it, which is great. I'll tell you my favorite section, and that's the monsters and traps section. No surprise there, right? Of course. Yeah, that's your, that's your bread and butter right there. But here's what I like about the monsters. The monsters are fleshed out with enough information that you know how to run them. As I'm reading through these monsters, not only do I get a good one-pager on what the monster is in the world and how it can be used and how it thinks and how it acts and how it smells, but I also, in the stat block and in the offense block. This book has an offense block for the monsters, and it really tells you what those creatures are prone to do in certain situations. Right. And right. I appreciate that, as opposed to, 
just a stat block and bullet points and some pretty artwork. It, it really takes the bricks out of the briefcase for me as the DM to be able to potentially roll a random monster that I have not seen before and have a truly immersive feeling for what that monster is in 45 seconds or less. Right, and I felt that way about the combat system too because they gave you so much detail. Like, just to give you a simple example, did you read the section about ganging up? Yes, yes. I'm glad so, you mentioned that. Go ahead. So if more than one character is attacking the same monster, the monster has to deal with multiple attacks at the same time, multiple opponents. So they, you can literally take a, a advantage of that monster being distracted. So if you attack a creature and then somebody else attacks it, that next attacker gets a plus one bonus to hit. If three people attack it, that third person gets another plus one. So basically... The more people attacking the same monster, the more distracted that monster is. And it added sort of a real interesting mechanic. Like, you have your best hitter go first, and then the other ones are kind of just worrying away at the monster. Right. And it's more than just, oh, I have flank. You know? Right. It is ab absolutely the the party is harrying this monster during the fight. Uh, that that's one of the the great things, and again, it's it's that level of nuance where it goes deep, but it's not obtrusively deep because it, it's mechanically easy. All right, how many people are on the monster? Four people, plus one, plus two, plus three. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, it, it's it's really really a beautifully crafted system. Hey, speaking of beautiful, we would not be doing this book justice if we did not talk about the arts. Um, what did you think? I think it, it reminds me of, it's got a touch of that sort of classic feel, like I would get from some of my older books with, you know, with some, you know, uh, with some modern touches, you know what I mean? But it, it has that, like even looking at the PDF, not having a paper copy in front of me, it's got that sort of, it, it feels like you know, a weighty tone, which is what you want kind of from your core right. rules. Right? And, and I'm going to use this term, but it's not in, in a negative way. The art is very flat, but in a positive way, right? It, it, think about the uh, OG D&D &D art, right? Right, yeah. Imagine that translated to a modern comic art. It's sort of a hybrid of the two. Right. And, I would agree with that assessment. And uh, when I say flat, I'm just talking about surface style, right? Not not flat as in it's not exciting or, or great. Some of the monster art is fantastic. Um, it's just a very unique take on art. And, you know, David is an artist. You, know, you check him out. Uh, on DeviantArt for his whole portfolio, which has a lot of the art from this book. He and his wife, like I said, produced the artwork and the system. Um, but the art is so very, very, very unique. It's simple. It's it's simple but detailed. And, and I guess that's what I meant. Flat might not... I knew that that wasn't the word that I was looking for. It, it's just... Right. I don't know. I, I like the style. And on the surface, it would not be a style that I was originally drawn to. But as I read the book, it sort of fits because the system is very much the same. 
on the surface, it's very digestible. But as you look in, and I'm looking at one of the pieces of art right now, as you look deeper, you're going to see levels of detail that can be applied. And the same thing goes for the system. On the surface, it's very palatable. But like you said, with situation, and like I said, with lore, and just behavioral little quips in the monster blocks, uh, it gets much much deeper so uh right and even the art like you could tell that they add sort of a sense of not realism in effect like it's a um like you like it's photo art because it's not but like if you look at something like an archer you see they have their eyes black to avoid glare and that you know that adds sort of a touch of sort of realism to that stock you know drawing of an archer that you're seeing right and i don't like to throw around the term comic art because that has a, a connotation too it's very uh, it's, it's so unique I, I can't really describe it other than to say uh, I'm going to put the link to <laughs> Dave's uh, deviant art in, in the show notes just so that you can see it because it is what we loved with the simplicity of the old school art you know it's not rainbows and sparkles and 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 characters like we see in a certain wizards publication now it is very intricate and detail some of it grim which i like but again i i don't know i don't know i don't know what i would call this style of art other than it fits this system and it works for the book, and it's it's pretty, 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 pretty. Did you have a favorite? Uh, you you were talking about the monster section. Did you have a favorite? I did, I did. I, I as far as art or as far as monster, because the monsters, uh, again, it's an OGL product, uh, an old OGL product, um, right? But uh, as far as the art, I love the ochre jelly art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if you you can't see it uh, I'll describe it it is an ochre jelly that has you know rocks and dirt and of course a cadaver that is all the flesh stripped away it's a skeleton adventurer with parts sticking out of the jelly <laughs> but uh, again the, the style just fits and I can't recommend it enough less than 20 bucks you know Retail price seventeen ninety nine, Bert. Five hundred. Right, pages. absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's uh, and and it's what's really interesting is it's sort of you said it was OGL and it is. You see a lot of monsters that you may have seen before, but you see, you know, monsters that you don't see every day. You know, you know, demons and angels and you know uh, monsters that you don't see now anymore. Right. 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 I mean. Hell, what was the last time you saw a dark mantle in in a book? I ran one in our last campaign. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're right. In a book, probably third edition. Right. Uh, And I'm sure someone don't don't write. I'm this dark mantle and this supplement. It's it's hiding in the corner of the punch bowl at the prom in Strixhaven. Um. Yeah, don't 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 write and tell me about the Dark Mantle in fifth edition. I'm sure it exists, Bert. But the the fact that we didn't pay attention to it there, but we're paying attention to it here speaks volumes. Right. So no, I I definitely recommend check it out. David Gwill, 
and his lovely wife, Melissa Gwill, Dungeons and Delvers, the core rulebook, also known as the Red Book on the Big Geek Emporium. Uh, I like that it's there, too, and not on drive through for, for obvious reasons. Um, right, obviously. <laughs> uh, the, the, some of the older stuff, uh, the prior to the release of this book, the Red Book, or the Core Rules, uh, there was the Black Book, which is sort of like a primer. It's levels one through five. If you're not ready to take the plunge, you can pick up that. But why the hell not? I, like I said, not life-changing money, and certainly, certainly a book that is priced well below its value. So if you're looking for something OSR, if you're looking for something gritty with a different visual aesthetic and a combat and mechanic system that provides the little nooks and crannies of detail that you, that you need for your campaign, check it out. Dungeons and Delvers, David Gwill, Big Geek Emporium. Yeah, I, I, I really like this book. I do. I, I do too. I, I, like the different races, the different classes, they all feel like they would play differently. Not having played it, I can't say that for sure, but they all feel sort of unique in their own right rather than, um, you know, just being sort of cookie cutter. Right. And, and of course, the, there are the cookie races that you would expect. Uh, you've got your humans, your elves, your dwarves, all of that stuff, but there's more. There's more. I, I think my favorite is... The um, Ishim, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's the the lower echelon of angels that are walking the earth, and it, it's it was it was the one that stood out to me that could be who it could be very different. You know who would love it? They would love it, and I like it too, but for different reasons. I like it because they are sort of the the shit from the gods, the first the first go-round of angels that didn't quite make it. <laughs> I, I I felt that way about, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Cthong. The, you know, they were made from the mountains and the dirt by 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 the titans of old, so they're, they're a race that's older than elves, but they're basically just made of, you know, mud and stone. Right, they're, they're sentient golems. Right, pretty close, pretty close, and and different from what we would look at in the D and D realm of um, it's not just a knockoff Warforged. There is, like you said, a whole backstory <laughs> to the race. Uh, right, exactly. But it gives them purpose, where each race feels unique and intrinsically important as opposed to the feeling I get when I read like a fifth edition book is that each race is a human that's dressed up in whatever the race juice might be du jour. So, um, yeah, no hats off to, to David and his wife. They did an excellent job. Dungeons and Delvers, uh, own it, play it, or we're head for Z Hills. Bert, what do you think? I would think own it. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you're somebody who can, you know, can handle a little bit of math. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of tools in the toolbox there. I, I think it's no surprise. I'm in the own it category too. Just value for money. If you're looking for something to take a step into the OSR, but you're not quite ready to to throw down with like BX, uh, this is a great great introduction. 
um, that's written with the right philosophy, that gives you lore, that has uniqueness, and like I said, it has the range of depth that the most novice players through old grognards like us will all find something to appreciate. So pick it Absolutely. up, Big Geek Emporium, Dungeons and Delvers. Yeah, um, not often that we're both, you know, in almost total agreement on a review. <laughs> and we were here. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the product that speaks for itself. I mean, it's got something for everybody, whether you're, you know, a crunchy math and deep lore guy, or you just want something that you can sort of easily understand the rules. They're both, it's kind of a good best of both worlds in that area. Yeah, no, and um, a pure example of OSR philosophy, while not specifically, I mean, it is an OSR product, right? Sure. But I wouldn't call it like cookie cutter textbook definition OSR. No. Uh, it, it's, but it's got OSR philosophy on every page, and, and that we definitely appreciate, especially, you know, with the state of the hobby where it is now and OGL 1.1 on the horizon. <laughs> so, uh, anything else that's uh, tickling your nerd bone this week? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was bad, man. You should not say things like that. No, but no, there's not really hey, anything hey, that's hey, going to hey, jump hey. out at me. If I want to tickle nerd bones, it's allowed now. Okay, I just I just want to say that <laughs> I, you you can't shame me, brother. Fair <laughs> enough. Oh shit! <laughs> no, I don't have anything else uh, other than to encourage you to uh, follow the ladies running the Nerd Cognito Twitter account on Twitter at Nerd Cognito. They. Uh, Always have some insight and post up everything interesting that they come across uh, as the week goes by. So when you just can't get enough of Bert and I, you can have a little bit of the Nerd Cognito perspective from the Nerd Cognito ladies. Definitely follow them at Nerd Cognito. Hey, they've got their blue check mark now. Hooray! Hooray! Yep, yep, yep. Uh, so. At Nerd Cognito, now verified. And that verification comes courtesy of our... Checkmark Hero. Ah, uh, you know him, you love him. He's been our Checkmark Hero for a while and continues on. Matt Barninger. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Matt underscore Barninger. B-A-R-N-I-N-G-E-R. -E screenwriter and incredible friend to Nerd Cognito. Hey, Matt. We love you and we thank you. And, uh... We always appreciate all of our Checkmark Heroes. Because it's plural. We appreciate Checkmark <laughs> Heroes. You want to be a Checkmark Hero? Uh, it's easy. Venmo 8 bucks to at NerdCognito. And you will sponsor the next available month of Checkmark Hero. So we appreciate it. And it's a good cheap plug for you and your Twitter machine. So much. I'm so excited. You know, we ended the last couple full shows kind of on a downer. So I'm really sure. I'm really thrilled that we found a product that I think we can get to the Nerd Cognito table. I really do. I, I, I would like to see it on the table. I would like to see how, you like you said, we've got sort of 
different style of gamers, different ages of gamers. It'll be sort of interesting to see what they dig out of the book that will sort of tickle their fans. Right, and there's enough familiarity with some of the old school stuff and throwbacks to monsters that we haven't seen that uh, it could be interesting. Uh, We are kind of in the middle of a, a transitional piece in our campaign right now, so I don't know timeline-wise what that could look like, but I also don't see why we can't just shift over to another system for a couple of sessions and see how it goes. But uh, uh, that's going to be up to the group, right? I'm game, because it's not going to affect the way that I prep as a dungeon master. Right, right. And I, I'm, you know me, I'm always game to try out a new system anytime. Well, we'll see. Maybe we can break some knees and twist some arms and see what happens. Uh, well, while we're out playing Mafiosa, <laughs> I guess everybody else can make sure that they go to their podcast provider of choice and ensure that they are subscribed to Nerd Cognito. It's the only way to make sure you get each and every episode. Uh, it's vitally important uh, to us and to you that you don't miss a single episode because, hey, we want you to hear us blather on and sing the praises of great systems like Dungeons and Delvers when we come across them. Uh, so again, just about anywhere you can think of to get your podcast from Google to Apple to Stitcher to Spotify and everything in between. Go there, throw us a positive review if you feel so inclined, hit that subscribe button, and you know, tell your friends. That's the other big important piece. Make sure that you spread the word about Nerd Cognito. We truly, truly appreciate it. Um, that's it for us this week, Bert. I'm going to go finish this book. I'm, I'm, I'm literally in the home stretch. I've got about 50 pages left to go. So um, I am super, super geeked. And now that, you know, we're breaking knees, I might have to, you know, really dig down into it. <laughs> My name is Ryan David. We appreciate you tuning in subscribing, doing all that stuff, and supporting us and the OSR because it's truly the best community in the tabletop role-playing space right now. I was joined, of course, by Bert, and we will talk at you next week. Be safe out there, everybody.